This is the A Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, November 14th. And now, please rise for the singing of our national Welcome to episode 76 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott, and Paul Elliott, the normal co-host of this podcast, is not with us, and uh, I will not be with you for much longer because this is a very special episode of our podcast. Uh, So normally, Paul and I meet weekly uh, to talk about baseball, do various uh, segments, um, it's a great podcast. You should listen to it every week. Uh, but for this specific podcast, we wanted to do a uh, unique uh, Cubs season interview. So because I am a diehard Cubs fan, Paul is a uh, diehard White Sox fan. If you um, have not listened before, he's my twin brother as well. Uh, because I'm a Cubs fan, uh, we talk about the Cubs probably more than your average baseball podcast throughout the season. And so we've got a lot of clips and guests that have talked about the Cubs in, in this year, really. I mean, I think any baseball podcast has talked about the Cubs because of how dominant they were in the regular season and uh, what a good storyline they were in the postseason. Uh, so I had the idea after they won uh, to do a unique uh, season interview podcast where we would take different clips um, from times where we've talked about the Cubs throughout our podcast, but also brought in guests to talk about the Cubs as well. So the next hour or so will be um, those clips, uh, before each round of clips, we'll play the intro uh, uh, to, to that week's podcast so you know the date in which the, the statements were made. Uh, should be pretty easy to follow. So we'll cover everything from the Schwarber uh, injury in, in early April to uh, you know the Cubs' dominant early season run. Talk to Ryan Watt of Baseball Prospectus, a great young writer um, about the Cubs' dominance early in the season. We'll discuss the Chapman trade during the um, trading deadline period. I was not the biggest fan of that trade, and so we'll, we'll definitely play those clips, not running from my, uh, from my stance uh, on Chapman. And you can hold me to what I said on the podcast back in, uh, in July. We'll also talk about the Cubs' uh, midseason swoon, where they lost a lot of games uh, before the All-Star break. Um, we'll bring on uh, different uh, podcast listeners that we had that are diehard Cubs fans, Matt from Minnesota, our brother Kevin from Chicago was on a couple times to talk about the Cubs, um, and then um, Ryan Davis of uh, BP Wrigleyville will also be on when he discussed the Cubs' playoff chances. So it should be a really fun podcast. I'm looking forward to kind of remember the whole season and different storylines and hope you enjoy it as well. Uh, next Monday, we'll have our normal podcast. Paul will be back uh, recording with me, and uh, we'll take a look back at the whole 2016 season um, from some unique lenses, I think, uh, so we won't do your your typical review, but we'll look at some bigger picture things that we followed throughout the season, like um, pace of play, strike zone, um, those sorts of things, home runs, especially this year, home runs are way up, so we'll take a look at all those things, and hopefully you enjoy it. We'll also look ahead to the off season, uh, which has already begun. Sorry to the people that were expecting 
Bartolo Colon Ari Dickey signing reactions from us this week. It'll have to wait one more week. Um, but we'll look back at some things that have already happened and then look forward to the rest of the offseason and discuss how uh, we'll cover the offseason as a podcast. So I think that does it for an intro. Uh, thankfully, if you're listening to this podcast, you survived the election. Won't give uh, my thoughts, but uh, yeah, just listen to each other, respect each other, and uh, listen to our podcast. That's what I'll say on the election. So without further ado, here is the A Foot in the Box 2016 Cubs season interview. This is the A Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, March 28th. Uh, the Cubs are next. Last year they won 97 games. The over-under line is 92.5, uh, by far the highest um, of all the, the betting spreads. I am taking the over. Um, of course. Call me. A, and I'm a Cubs fan, so um might be kind of a homer pick. But I think... Offense is just going to be electric. Um, there's so much depth. Uh, you know, if one of their main uh, position players goes down, I think they have other guys that can step up uh, right behind them. Um, Arietta and Lester do concern me because both of them have some injury risk. Especially Arietta, he might not start the season because of a blister, but he threw so many innings last year that he does concern me. But I am taking the over. Yeah, I agree. Taking the over. I mean. What more can you say? Best manager in baseball. Best they have the best off season in baseball, um, and they have the best young talent in baseball. So I'm taking the over, and I think they'll be the best team in the majors. Uh, Pakota has them in 94 games, so they're taking the over as well. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, April 4th. Moving into you want to do like World Series picks? Uh, sure. So I've got I've got the Cubs beating the Pirates. I think the Pirates will win their wild card game. Um, and then so the Cubs would play the Nationals. I think the Nationals would be the Dodgers. So Cubs are my NL pick. Who's uh, your AL pick? Uh, Red Sox. Yep. Um, who, who are they going to be in the ALCS? Uh, Mariners. Of course. Yes. So it'll be Red Sox, Cubs. And then who? Last year you let me pick the NL. You like the Dodgers, so... How are we going to pick the winner this year? Uh, let's go Cubs. Nice. Cubs the, Red Sox. The official foot-in-the-box pick. Um, as is tradition on this podcast, we close out each opening day podcast by playing Terrence Mann's speech from Field of Dreams. This is two years running now. So um, after Paul says his weird thing, we'll close with uh, Mr. Mann's speech. Uh, my weird thing is just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We will talk to you next week, everyone. Happy opening day. All right, all right, all right, all right. This is fascinating. It is. But the fact remains is that you don't have the money to bring the mortgage up to date, so you're still going to have to sell it. I'm sorry, Ray. We got no choice. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. 
find we have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. So they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they watched the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. This is the A Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, April 11th. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin, you're a, a Cubs fan like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, just walk us through your emotions uh, following the Schwarber uh, injury. Uh Awful, awful. Yeah, I was um, watching it live, and uh, it was just a weird play. You could see it off the bat that it had the potential for something like that, and you just hope that someone was going to call call the other off. Um, and it just it was just a a terrible thing. But you know, you and I talked about it a little bit. It's it's kind of a weird thing because I'm still just as confident. Uh-huh. In um in the fact that you know we'll we'll make the playoffs, be competitive in the playoffs, maybe make a run um, toward the World Series, even without Schwarber there, um, which I think is a testament to the depth of the team. For me, though, I just feel sick for Schwarber. You know, I think it's going to be such a fun, exciting year, and he's kind of developed into this folk hero status, mm-hmm. where it's just so fun to watch him play and watch him be a part of the team. And it just stinks that um, he doesn't get to be a part of it. So it's kind of a weird thing. Like, almost just feel really bad for him. Um, but you're not really discouraged in the fact that you don't think the Cubs are still going to make a long run. So it's just an unfortunate thing, though. Yeah, and as um, you were talking, I see that uh, Arietta just hit a 440-foot home run. Yeah, yeah, about 20 minutes ago we did. Wow. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he crushed it. Wow. Crush it. Um, yeah, it was a no doubter. To uh, like almost straightaway center, a little bit less center. But, uh, Kev, this know? is this is Paul and uh, Peter and I were discussing this earlier. But if you had to pick one person from the Cubs opening day lineup to get hurt, uh, where would Schwarber land on that list in terms of you know top eight? Yeah, well, I think that question probably came from a discussion Pete and I had a couple days ago. Uh, it did. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah, it's um, well, again, that's the interesting thing. He he would probably fall kind of low on that. Well, I guess if you're phrasing it, who cannot get hurt for the Cubs to do well, he would fall low on that list mm-hmm. because at the top of the list you'd have guys like Arietta and Lester, Rizzo. Um, right. K word, 
Bryant, um, may, honestly, maybe even like a Russell. I had um, I had Russell and Zobrist uh, on my list. Yeah, yeah. So he he falls. I mean, pretty low. He he's a guy again that you really want to watch all year and you want him to be a part of the team. But just in terms of the Cubs being able to um, to adapt to an injury, I mean. He, it would definitely be an outfielder just because you've got Solaire there who can take over and you just, you've got a lot of depth there. Um, so yeah, I mean, objectively he, he's not as important of a piece as some of those other guys. Um, but you know, it's still, you still just feel sick for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing when, you know, depth is their strength and that was talked about all throughout the off season, but then like when it actually, when you have to use that depth, it's like a weird, it's a weird thing, right? You don't want to have anyone get hurt at the same time. Like. Yeah, yeah. You don't really want to have to use the depth, um, but I mean that's why it's there. And I think you know everyone is saying how lucky the Cubs were last year to not really have to face any major injuries, and you just almost kind of had this feeling like they'd probably face a little bit of adversity this year. Um, I think it's just the way that it happened was so disheartening because. It was such a major contact injury mm-hmm. um, in a sport that doesn't have those kinds of injuries typically. And you know, Pete and I talked about this a few days ago. If um, you know, if you were to to describe an injury where there's kind of a blunt force to the side of the knee that's going to tear <clears throat> an ACL and whatever other tendon it was that he tore, you'd probably kind of have a hard time figuring out how that might have happened. There are really only a couple types of plays in baseball that could result in something like that. So it's just such a fluke play, and it's, it's too bad. Definitely. Uh, other than Schwarber, the Cubs are off you know, to a good start. Um, mm-hmm. If they win today, they'll be 5-1. and one. What, uh, what have been your takeaways from the Cubs and, uh, I guess, all-around baseball from the opening week? Well, the, the Cubs offense is going to be really fun to watch this year, I think. Um, you know, even on days where the staff um, uh, maybe doesn't have their best stuff, uh, you're just still always going to be right there with a chance to win. Um, I think you're already seeing the Zobris move paying dividends. Um, to me, it looks like Rizzo's really locked in. I think he could have an even bigger year than he had last year. Um, you know, the, the thing I worry about is still the pitching. Mm-hmm. Um particularly the, the bullpen, and I know the bullpen, um, they, they did a lot of work on it in the off season. but I, I think what they did was they made sure they got guys who could maybe spot start here and there. Um, they got some really versatile players out of that bullpen. I'm just not real confident in how well they're going to do. Um, they, they could have a great year. I just, to me, that's kind of a question mark. Um you know, Lackey didn't look real great, so, you know, he's kind of a concern. But um, o- overall, that, that Cubs offense is just going to be real fun to watch. And, you know, I think another storyline is whether or not Arietta is going to be a similar kind of pitcher that he was last year because I don't think anyone expects him to repeat what he did last year. I mean, that was a historic season. Um, but, I mean, so far it seems like he's locked in and he's, he's picking up right where he left off. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, April 18th. Yeah, Arietta has been great, and Chicago baseball in general has been really good. Definitely. Cubs, you mentioned 9-1, run differential of near plus 40, 
And the White Sox actually have been decent, not as good as the Cubs, but um, eight and three and playing really well, getting really good pitching. Definitely. Yeah, they're, uh, they are 17 and five this year. Um, and we have a listener email that flows naturally from this. So 17 and five, one of the best starts in Chicago baseball history, really. Um, when you combine the two teams and Scott, uh, from Illinois, uh, writes in with this following question. It's a twofold question, a one question for each of us. Uh, his question to you, Paul, we'll do that one first. He says, uh, I would be interested in hearing about the state of your current Sox fanhood. As a Sox fan myself, I would never consider jumping ship, but it has been admittedly hard over the past offseason to be a Sox fan with all the hype on the other side of town. So, Paul, how would you respond to, respond to that? Yeah, thanks for the question, Scott. It's always nice to hear from other Sox fans. There aren't too many in central Illinois. I would say my biggest issue as a Sox fan uh, is not feeling great about the kind of the overall direction of the team. Um, like even after an 8-3 and three start where they're playing well, in the back of my mind there's always this lingering thought um, that it's fool's gold. And especially with the Cubs being on the other side of town and seeing them draft well and have just this amazing depth. And then to look at the White Sox roster, I just see so many holes and the season just has to go perfect for them to have a, a chance at the World Series. And um, each offseason, they're kind of just cobbling a, a team together, hoping that um, you know all the pieces might fit together, whereas the Cubs seem to have more of a firm direction and just a overall strategy and a philosophy, where the White Sox, I don't know that they have that. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would say, like you, I'm not going to jump ship. I'll be a Sox fan for the rest of my life. But it, it is hard, um, especially without that firm direction. And then uh, Scott also writes, Pete, this is a question for you. Uh, Peter, you've been a guy that's followed them through the highs and lows, talking about the Cubs. But it seems like a lot of people are just jumping on with the hype around the team this season. How does it feel to be a true Cubs fan this season amongst, from my perspective, a city filled with bandwagoners? That, uh, that's also a good question. Um, he is right that I have been a Cubs fan through the highs and the lows. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. It's it's. This is a question that you know any team that goes through bad times and then has a period of um, sustained success um, kind of has to answer this question. You know, like the Blackhawks, for instance, another one. Uh, they were bad for a while, then they got really good, and now have become like this icon of uh, of Illinois sports. And you know, you walk around Illinois campus here in Champaign, and you'd, you'd see more Blackhawks gear than anything else. Um, so as the Cubs have become good again, um, that's definitely something I've thought about. Um, does it take away from my excitement around the team to know that, uh, all these other fans were, um, were maybe critical of the team or just didn't care during the last, um, five years or so. And now we're jumping on, um, and just to give some context, uh, from 2009 to 2014, didn't make the playoffs any of those years. Um, they went 419 and 542. Mm. So they just won 43% of their games. Um, so that is the stretch. You know, th- those were the low times um, in 2015 and now are, are definitely the good times. And I think what you have to tell yourself as a fan is just it doesn't matter what other people, um, how they view the team or what their reaction to the team is. It's, you know, can you enjoy it yourself? As I watch Cubs games, them winning is that satisfying to me as a fan of the team and it is and so that that allows me to kind of block out other stuff and even to be excited when other people are excited that the cubs are winning do you feel like the cubs success has infiltrated even like non 
sports areas of your life, like at work, are people talking about the Cubs right now? Uh, right now, it's more, I'll believe it when I see it, when they want, you know, in reference to a World Series. Like, oh, mm-hmm. they got a really good, young, talented team, but, you know, I'll believe it when I see it in terms of a World Series win. So that's the next step is to win a World Series. Um, but I think with baseball, more than other sports, people don't care during the season, really. I mean, except the diehards. And so that helps a lot. Like, you know, Dexter Fowler's early season success this year isn't being talked about widely with, you know, fair weather fans. Um, they just know that the Cubs are winning. And so there's even small things that you can pick pick out of your team, um, stats like that and, and storylines like that that you know as a diehard but that the fair weather fans won't. And your enjoyment of the team, I think, is heightened because of those, those storylines. I will uh, say I, I think it's good for our podcast when the Cubs <laughs> are good because, well, you are in a better mood. And then I think just more people that uh, were around uh, want, want to, like, listen and learn more about baseball. This is the A Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, April 25th. Like you just hinted at, Paul Jake Arrieta threw the first no-hitter of 2016. On 119 pitches, he walked four, struck out six, didn't give up any hits. On Thursday nights against the Reds, Cubs won 16 to nothing. I just got a few stats that were pretty amazing to me as a Cubs fan. And uh, I apologize if you've heard these uh you know, at nauseum over the last few days, but uh, over the last 24 regular season starts, Arrieta is 20 and 1, 0.86 ERA, 0.69 WHIP, and he has thrown two no hitters since he last registered a loss. And that loss was last year on July 25th, and that's when Cole Hamill threw a no hitter against the Cubs. So Hamill throws a no hitter July 25th, and then Arrieta has thrown two since then and hasn't lost a game um, over that stretch. And my favorite stat, the Cubs won 16 to nothing on Thursday night. So the Cubs offense scored 16 runs. Arietta himself has given up 16 earned runs in his last 22 starts. Man. Yeah, I I think the most interesting thing about Arietta, so he's just dominant, but like, have you thought to yourself, is there a comp out there for someone who was a below average pitcher mm-hmm. for his first four or five years in the big leagues and then literally becomes like unhittable, mm-hmm. like point a point six whip over the course of 25 starts is, is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it would be unbelievable for a guy like Pedro who was dominant from the inning, the first inning in the big leagues, but it's even more amazing for a guy like Arietta who, who is not a good pitcher for was sent down to the minors. Yeah. Uh, 2013. I had texted a friend that question. Um, and the best answer we could come up with was Jose Bautista. With the uh, Blue Jays, not a not a pitcher, but uh, he kind of his power came out of nowhere. Um, same thing with David Ortiz. We've talked about him a yep. couple times. Um, but yeah, for a pitcher, I couldn't think of one. Um, listeners out there, if you have someone in mind, I'm sure there are examples. That would be a good article for uh, someone like Fangraphs or Baseball Prospectus to do. Um, but yeah, talk, speaking of like his dominance, it is a bit odd. Uh, I was listening to effectively a wild uh, baseball podcast from Baseball Prospectus, and they talked about um, Arietta's dominance, and it's a bit strange because over the, the those last twenty four starts that I mentioned, where he's you know got the point eight six ERA, point six nine WHIP, he's thrown one hundred and seventy eight innings, and uh, in those one hundred and seventy eight innings, how many guys do you think he struck out, Paul? Hmm, I would guess, I'll go 170. Yeah, 173. So only 173 
in 178 innings. So not even a strikeout per innings pitched. Now, again, that's a really good uh, strikeout percentage, you know, strikeout ratio. He's only walked 33 in those 178 innings, so that's why, you know, his whip is so low. Uh, but for a guy that dominant, you would expect those strikeout numbers to be a lot higher. Mm-hmm. So like Randy Johnson, he's had some dominant stretches. Pedro, everyone kind of looks at him. Um, and then Kershaw even. Uh, last year had a, an amazing stretch, and they're striking out way more guys than innings pitched. And uh, what the guys on the podcast landed on was just weak contact. He's producing a lot of weak contact, so there's probably some luck involved of uh, balls not landing. But he's just the stuff that he's throwing. Guys either strike out because that it's a pretty high strikeout total, but they're also just uh, not making very hard contact. And even in the game where he threw the no hitter, uh, I heard a lot of people talk about how he wasn't. His command wasn't that great. He walked four guys. Yeah, if you go out there like to Fangraphs or Baseball Reference and look at um, uh, contact rate, you can actually look and see like what percentage is uh, soft contact hmm. versus hard contact. So I'd encourage you. I, it's fascinating that baseball provides that data, but it even I feel like in the past, say like ten, fifteen years ago, we would have just had to say, you know, Arietta's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Dominant, but we're not really sure why. But now you can actually look at the data and say, no, he's producing soft contact 60% of the time or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And I think that the best comp I could come up with to this run is Greg Maddox. He didn't have uh, very high strikeout totals either. Um, Always less strikeouts than innings pitched, but he just induced a lot of weak contact and uh, was a tremendous pitcher in his career. My favorite Arietta story... Um, being a White Sox fan is in Aria's first or second year in the big leagues, Paul Canerco faced him a game in Baltimore. And uh, I think he, he got on base, got a hit or something, but then he was talking to the Orioles first baseman. I actually can't remember who it was at the time, but said something to the effect of that's the nastiest stuff I've ever seen. And this was towards the end of Canerco's career. And at that time, Arietta was, you know, a plus four ERA pitcher. Mm-hmm. No one really knew of him. So it just shows that the, the stuff was there early on, but, uh, it took the move to the Cubs to kind of bring it to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were seven no-hitters in 2015, four in 2014, three in 2013. Uh, the last perfect game was in 2012. Paul, two questions. How many no-hitters will we see this year, and will we see a perfect game? Uh, sure. I'll say yes and yes. Um, well, I said how oh, many. Oh, sorry. We'll see a perfect game, and I'll go with, I'll say eight. This is the A Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 2nd. We're here on the Hickory basketball court. And Bruce, who travels with me, Bruce, I want to ask you something. Do you have a tape measure with you? Tell me something. How tall is that basketball rim? Ten feet. Here in Indiana, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. And there is nothing that Hoosiers cannot do. It's really interesting. Uh, Next up, we have Sounds of the Game. Regulators. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steel if you know what I mean, earn your keep. 
All right, so we're going to switch it up on this week's Sounds of the Game. That is Warren G featuring Nate Dog with two Gs singing Our Regulate. Uh, this week, Paul, did you hear him? Did you hear Warren G sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Unfortunately, I did, yeah. That's actually, you know, uh, Arlo's brother, John. That's his one of his favorite songs. It's a, it's a great song. Uh, a feature of the 90s. Uh, 1994 is when uh, that song came out. So, gonna gonna cut the chord on Regulate, and then gonna play for you Warren G attempting to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. So here that is. Guest conductor for Take Me Out to the Ball Game, music artist and producer Warren G. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 9th. I am joined on the podcast this week by Ryan Watt. He is the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus Wrigleyville, also a staff writer for uh, Baseball Prospectus. Ryan, welcome to the Foot in the Box podcast. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Watt. That's R-I-A-N-W-A-T-T. Well, Ryan, the Cubs are off to a historically good start. Uh, as we record this, they are 20 and six, maybe 21 and six by the end of it. So they're playing the Nationals right now. Uh, run differential of plus 93, best offense in baseball, best pitching in baseball, maybe the best fielding and base running in baseball, according to some metrics. Uh, so my first question is, what do you make of this? How did you, you know, did you expect this kind of start? What do you make of all of it? Yeah, I think uh, it's been it's been a lot all at once. I think people expected the Cubs to be good. I don't think many people expected them to be this good. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's surprised that they're this good because the potential is always there. But you know, the nature of baseball is that potential doesn't always, and in fact, doesn't even often play up to its its full limit. And right now, the fact is the Cubs aren't even really playing up to their full potential, and they still have the best record in the game, which is sort of a scary thing to see. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of guys in the middle of their lineup who aren't really hitting yet. The pitching has been superb. The bullpen has really barely been used, relatively speaking, because the pitching has been so good. But the offense hasn't yet gotten going, and they're still putting up that ludicrous run differential. So it's uh, it's something to watch. You you can just <laughs> kind of sit back and, and enjoy it because these kind of things are special. Yeah, as a Cubs fan, I have uh, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and you mentioned that a lot of people haven't been performing up to their expectations, um, you know, with Schwarber being hurt. Hayward and Soler mm-hmm. haven't been, um, you know, what people expected. Still plenty of time, obviously, for those guys to turn it around. So why have they been so good? If those guys, you know, haven't been playing to their best potential, uh, who has been? 
Well, I think you've seen a lot of the guys who coming into the season were expected to be more marginal contributors. Matt Caesar, who of course is still on the DL at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, Javi Baez, Tommy Listella, those guys are coming through in the clutch uh, when they need to. Ben Zobrist has quietly been very, very solid. Chris Bryan has been fantastic. Anthony Rizzo, despite kind of a low batting average, which has led people to, to think that he's not doing that well, is actually hitting extremely well. Mm-hmm. His on-base percentage is up near 400. Those guys have all been very solid. But the bottom line is they have a team where every single hitter understands exactly what they're trying to do at the plate and has this patient approach that waits for the right pitch in the zone to drive. And when you have enough guys doing that, and in the Cubs' case, it's all of their hitters, uh, it's hard not to score runs. I mean, some days it's going to happen, of course, and you'll you'll have bad days as a team, but they put themselves in a position where the lineup very rarely all struggles at the same time because the approach doesn't slump, as mm-hmm. Madden likes to say. And, and that's producing runs even when the heavy hitters aren't hitting. Yeah, it really has been a team approach. Um, relentless, I guess, is the best word to describe uh, the offense. Yeah. Uh, a couple more Cubs questions uh, to wrap up. Uh, so the Cubs, you know, will probably, you know, it's it's hard saying this, but they'll probably somewhat coast to a playoff spot this year. Uh, what are a couple things that Cubs fans like myself can watch for even – you know, as they win a lot of games, mostly against really bad teams like the Brewers and the Reds and Padres and uh, the bottom of the NL. What what are some things that we can watch for, even even mm-hmm. during that? Well, first and foremost, I think is injuries. Injuries have already hit the Cubs way more this year in just the first month than um, than they did pretty much all of last year. Where the the biggest thing that happened, as far as I can recall, was Miguel Montero was out for a little bit of time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just keep an eye on those nagging injuries. You know, a hamstring injury like Matt Caesar has could linger for a little while. Chasing downwards a wrist. Mm-hmm. You know, he got into the game just now, so you know it can't be that bad. But wrist injuries linger. Just keep an eye on that because that's the only thing really that could get in the way of the Cubs, as you say, kind of cruising into playoff spot is, is severe debilitating injuries to, to major players. So that's that's first and foremost. But that's sort of a given. So the more interesting thing, I think, at, at this point is how the Cubs use Javi Baez and Jorge Soler. Because those are two players with extraordinary potential, MVP ceiling potential, which is not to say they'll get anywhere close to it, because they might not. But they're both at points in their developmental process where they need playing time. They need the opportunity to go out there and uh, show what they can do and adjust to the league on a daily basis. And Baez seems to have gotten himself into a position where Madden trusts him enough to give him that. He'll get into pretty much every game, you know, and have the opportunity to flash the leather or, you know, get a couple of key at-bats. Solaire, it doesn't seem like he's quite there yet, which mm-hmm. is interesting because even more so than Baez, he sort of has that profile. He didn't get a lot of professional at-bats in the minors after defecting from Cuba, um, where he could really use some, some more playing time. So it'll be interesting to watch how that how battle goes down. You know, the front office and Joe Madden are, are very smart, and they think about these things a lot. So I'm sure they have a reason for what they're doing. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm just I'm surprised we haven't seen more of Solaire these days. Yeah, especially with the injuries. You know, if you would have said, you know, Schwarber goes out uh, for the season, Hayward has some injuries, even Caesar goes down. I would think, oh, Solaire is probably a staple. Yeah, in the so outfield, Kalish comes up and he's getting starts. Yeah, yeah, that was. I, <laughs> To be honest, I, I hadn't even followed that he was still around, and then uh, I was listening to the radio, and sure enough, Kalish is playing the field. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, last question. You run uh, Baseball Prospectus, Wrigleyville, the Cubs, uh, Cubs site for Baseball Prospectus. 
what's it been like to run a Cubs website with all this success? Is it, is it, you know, I would think it would be good for readership and that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm just curious to know your take on that. Yeah, it's definitely good for readership. I, I, I'll say, I guess I, I came in at the right time. I've only <laughs> been doing this for about a year and I, you know, tip my cap to people like Brett Taylor, who, who bless him, started writing on the last day of the 2008 season and then had to suffer through nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, mm-hmm. uh, running his site, um, before finally getting to this point. But Brett's also a lot better at this than I am. Um, <laughs> So it's been fun. You know, people are excited about the team. People are excited about the possibility. There's a lot of exciting and interesting stories to tell, and Cubs are getting some attention nationally, which is which is always good. Yeah. Well, Paul and I always enjoy when you jump on the J show here in Champaign. So uh, keep uh, keep doing that. <laughs> thanks. They're fun. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for being on with us, and uh, appreciate uh, the time. And uh, I guess go Cubs. Yep. Thanks so much for having me on. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 30th. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, I was just going to say, it, it, I, at least from my perspective, it's becoming more and more apparent that the uh, the Giants, I think, are emerging as kind of the Cubs as the uh, second team in the National League to challenge the Cubs. Really? Pirates are playing well. Yeah, I just think the if I were a Cubs fan, the, um, the trio of starters that the Giants have, hmm. Baumgartner... Cueto and Samarja. They all have FIPS under three, and uh, they just seem, the Giants especially, seem to be uh, a really good postseason team. So mm-hmm. I would be, I wouldn't say worried, but that they would be a team that I would be keeping an eye on as a Cubs mm-hmm. fan. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June 13th. John, you have any uh, big life updates? Well, I don't know what qualifies as big. I got to live out a childhood dream a few weeks ago when I attended Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals with my wife and my eldest son. And The big uh, Sharks-Penguins matchup? No. Western Conference <laughs> No. Uh, that's actually the Stanley Cup Finals. That's true. I couldn't think we of who was finals. in the Western Conference Finals. I think the Blackhawks are in the Western Conference. They didn't make it. We didn't make it. it was, I know, but they're in that. It was the Blues, right? You're confused. The Blackhawks. No one cares about the hockey. It. We got to It was the forward. Blues and the Sharks. I got to see Game Six of the Warriors and Thunder, <laughs> courtesy of my childhood friend Matt Tumbleson. Probably the best game of the playoffs so far. Probably, yeah. It was a lot of fun, and uh, so yeah, that was a fun little family adventure here recently. But otherwise, life just keeps rolling on. How about you guys? Any big life updates that you haven't shared on the podcast? Well, uh, life kind of merges with the podcast. So mm-hmm. a couple months ago, we hate, we reached 1,000 page views. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty pretty big life milestone for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, nothing, nothing else too major that I don't uh, discuss on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did have a second, or I mean a, a first child, but we did talk about that. Also kind of a low moment. The Cubs lost uh, two games this past week. <laughs> Brother. Two, uh, two bottom feeders. i got to give a shout-out to Kevin. He he revealed at some point on the trip here that despite his grueling schedule as a social worker and a new father, that he has watched every Cub game of the season. Nearly every Cubs game, yeah. My that wife, is commitment, folks. Well, my wife is amazing, and she doesn't mind it when I throw the Cubs game on, and... I do this joke where if Jake's crying, I'll say, oh, I think it's because we don't have the Cubs game on. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when he's crying and the Cubs game is on? 
then he probably needs to eat. Yeah. Um, it's but, really the only time I cry when the yeah. game isn't on when I'm hungry. <laughs> you don't want to leave the game. Because in baseball, there's never a time where you can move away from the TV. Non-stop action. <laughs> Um, no, but my wife has become a pretty big Cubs fan. She knows a lot about the team, and um, she'll even watch on occasion when I'm not even there. Yeah, but you know, if the worst thing that happens to us on this trip is taking a little longer walk through Washington D.C., I and, think and going to a two-hour church service, then we're yeah, I we're think good. we're doing okay. I think we're doing okay. Um, then we're. Like you said, Kevin, the the trip is just starting. Oh yeah, starting. Best is yet to come, in my opinion. So we've got a couple Cubs games coming mm-hmm. up. Not just any two Cubs games. We got the best, arguably the best two teams in baseball squaring off the next two nights. Best two National League teams. Cubs are the best team in baseball, without a doubt. Nationals lineup is not good. I thought they were a lot better, but they got a few. Good, they got some good starts. Yeah, I think we're going to come away with a couple wins. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June twentieth. Lastly, I can't bring you on the podcast and not talk about the Cubs and Cardinals, what you call in your book the best uh, rivalry in baseball, better than the uh, Red Sox and Yankees. I appreciated that as a as a diehard Cubs fan myself. So I want to ask, how are you and your dad handling all this Cubs success recently? He, you know, did, did you see that interview with Pete Rose? I don't like to quote Pete Rose on anything, but I don't know if you saw that interview with Pete Rose where Pete Rose said, yeah, the Cubs are going to find a way to screw this up. And that is totally what my dad thinks. <laughs> but uh, certainly, the uh, it's a terrific team, uh, and I think there's no question they should be favored to win the World Series. Now, if you're a Cubs fan, this year has been so awesome so far and so great, and it's been the best team in baseball should never have better than one in four odds to win the World Series. It's hard. It's weird. It's a small sample size. It's a bizarre thing. So all you, that's why getting in is really all that really matters after that. He said his uh, his bleep doesn't work in the playoffs. So, <laughs> oh man, we're never going to break through. Oh, we're never going to break through. We're never going to break through. And I think that is the fear. That that is the fear. Is you know the, the Cardinals right now. Uh, the Cardinals are like when the, going to the NLDS last year. I felt the Cardinals had everything to lose, and the Cubs had everything to gain. If they gained, the Cardinals had won the division. They'd ruled the division for so long. They'd never played the Cubs in the playoffs been thought of as a better team and so therefore when the Cardinals lost that series it was unusually miserable because that that not only did it mean that the uh, that that the Cubs were better it, we, it was it was a refutation of kind of what the Cardinals narrative had been for so long which is that the Cubs are going to blow up we're always going to be better now I think it's shifted a little bit in that the Cardinals are clearly the underdog to the Cubs if it does come turn out that the Cardinals play the Cubs in the playoffs, which I think is possible, the Cardinals, mm-hmm. the Cubs are, like, are going to win the division. The Cardinals are in the wild card spot right now, and I think are built well to have a pretty good team this year, if not as good as the Cubs. We could have a rematch of that in the NLDS, and I think it would be a complete shift. I think then there's more pressure on the Cubs. Everyone expects them to win. The Cardinals are kind of the underdog in this situation. No one will be rooting for the underdog in this situation, <laughs> to be very clear. But uh, certainly, I think that... Uh, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. Mike, the guy in the book, um, I talk to him all the time. He now he moved to Texas. He's not even in Illinois anymore, which is I feel really bad for him. This is his first year outside of Illinois, and this is happening <laughs> for the cops. And um, and he, uh, I was I talked to him about it, and he's like, 
I mean, they're winning the World Series this year. Like, he's just like all that Cub doubt and all that Cub fear is just gone. He just doesn't have it. He's like, well, yeah, we're winning the World Series. This is this is the year. This is the one we've all been waiting for. That is a psychologically perilous position to hold, I would argue. <laughs> I think you're asking for trouble for that because it's really hard. And listen, if the Cubs do it this year, it's going to be amazing. It'll be the 85 players. It'll be that level of a cultural phenomenon, if not even bigger. So um, – uh, it'll be an amazing thing. But if they don't win the World Series, and again, the odds are very much against them winning the World Series, just like they're against anybody winning the World Series. They're less against the Cubs winning the World Series. But the odds are always against anybody winning the World Series. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea, uh, if it doesn't go down this year, I think there's going to be all that angst that Cubs fans have had for years and years that they've kind of put on a hold for this year because everything is so fun, the team is so good, that I think that will all come back with a vengeance. So, uh, uh, And uh, I, I won't lie. I'll say I'll, if that happens, I'll kind of enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing, that if the, the roles are flipped, uh, the Cardinals have the opportunity to crush the Cubs, which is – uh, I'm sure a lot of Cardinal it, fans, what, it would, what they're hoping I, for. I, I think it would be more crushing. Because I got to tell you, as a Cardinal fan, that NLDS was unpleasant last year. That was <laughs> very unhappy. I will have nightmares of fly balls going over Cardinals well, Cardinals relievers and right fielders' heads for the rest of my life. Like Over, that the, was, score, over the scoreboard, too. Over the scoreboard, yeah. Landing on the scoreboard. I think it's still there. So, you know, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, I, that was a very miserable series. But, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we got over it. The Cubs didn't win the World Series, which made it easier. So, um, uh, but if the, if the Cubs have this season, this wonderful season where everything is going wonderful and then the Cardinals beat them in the playoffs, that, that's going to be rough for a lot of Cubs fans to handle, oh, yeah. no question. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. Will really enjoyed uh, the book and would uh, encourage uh, baseball fans everywhere to uh, to read it. Are we winning? Is the name of it. And um, yeah, appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us. Of course, my pleasure. Thank. Uh, I'm happy. Come on. Yep. Go Cubs. <laughs> this is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June twenty seventh. All right. Well, as Paul said, the Cubs have had a very rough week. They went one and six. Got swept by the Cardinals. Uh, Will Leach can celebrate that victory. They swept the Cubs at Wrigley. And then the Marlins took three out of four over the weekend. Uh, so, yeah, just not a, not a great week for the Cubs. Uh, they're tied with the Giants and Rangers uh, going into the games on Sunday with 48 wins. And so if the Giants win tonight, I believe uh, they will be the best team in baseball. Um, injuries have taken a toll. The bullpen's been very bad, and I think they'll trade for bullpen help here pretty soon. Um, the Yankees are just hanging around enough to not give up uh, or not want to trade uh, some of their bullpen help off. Um, but, yeah, they definitely need bullpen help, and they need guys to get healthy again. I was driving back uh, from uh, Chicagoland area this morning, and I was listening to sports radio, and it's amazing uh, some of the, like, the fans. They're pretty negative. Yeah, just you know, saying like um, the team doesn't have any life; they don't have any energy. Uh, seems like they've they're entitled now. Um, so yeah, all it takes is one bad week to cause fans to go from uh, just super excited to freaking mm-hmm. out. An older man at church this morning uh, uh, told me that he's glad he's a Cubs fan. He's glad this is happening because. Uh, all teams that win the World Series go through adversity during the season, and he's seen a lot of teams that coast into the playoffs with no hmm. 
uh, kind of rough stretch. Um, I.e. Golden State Warriors? Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. So uh, he was glad it happened. For me, you kind of have to recalibrate. Um, twice this year I've got into the mode where I'm rooting for them to win 117. And then uh, they lost a doubleheader to the Padres and played pretty poorly a week back in May, I believe, or late April. And now uh, this stretch. Uh, a few games in, you just have to recalibrate. It's like, all right, we're not going to get 117. We're still being the Cardinals, winning the division by 10 games. Uh, it's okay. Um, and then you can kind of cheer for your team again. But that recalibration is hard. Yeah, and what you have to remember is that the Mariners won 116 in 2001, but didn't win the World Series and mm-hmm. are kind of an afterthought. Definitely. She's a good girl. Loves her mama. Loves Jesus. In America, too. She's a good girl. Crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too. Okay, this is Peter, uh, here with my friend Matt, uh, Shulky, not Janky. Uh, Matt is, other Matt, <laughs> this is confusing. Matt, who I'm road tripping with, is on the ones and twos for this segment, producing, sipping some water, taking a break. So, I'm here with my other friend Matt, who lives in Rochester. Uh, Matt, long-time listener, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Peter, and thanks for coming to our house. It's a pleasure. Uh, just finished a delicious uh, meal, brought some burgers. Sponsored by Weber Grills. Yes. Chick-fil-A sponsored our first segment. Okay, <laughs> that's get, good. Get a new one for each each uh, segment. Uh, so, Matt, you uh, are a student slash doctor in training at Mayo Clinic, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I'm in the uh, MD-PhD program here at the Mayo Clinic. There are some 40 programs around the country where people can, if they can't choose between an MD and a PhD, they just get to do both. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm almost halfway through year three, just finished year three out of eight. So class of uh, 2021, baby. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um, appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, you think the Cubs will uh, will win in the World Series before you're done with your program? <laughs> that I think will happen. I mean, we're, so we've got five more World Series until I'm out of here. Yeah, I, I think I think in the next five years yeah. it'll happen. How many do you think they'll play in? Ooh, I would guess at least two. In that I'd say years. two. I'd say two to three. Um, I, I'm I'm amazed that even following stuff right now. Um, like the most favorable odds to win the World Series are like one in five, or like even to get to the sure. World Series are one in five. I yeah. mean, baseball is just such a crapshoot. Cubs fans seem to have this mentality that they're definitely going to win the World Series this year, but well, n- and not even like uh, obnoxious. It's just like a pretty confident, calm. Well, thing. when was the last time? Actually, that'd be a good, good question. When was the last time the Cubs were the best team in baseball? Were they? they were they the best in that season? In um, uh, two thousand eight, they were the best team in all of baseball. Uh, I know the National League. And I'm just going to guess it was all baseball. Well, I mean, because that's, that's a reasonable... They got, they got swept in the um, division series. Okay. Because last year, when they beat the Cardinals, that was their first playoff win since 2003. Because even the years the Cubs have been good and made the playoffs, they haven't necessarily been, like, sure. totally dominant like they are this year, which yeah. gives a lot of a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, it seems like they've rebounded from their rough week a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 
well, this week podcast because I'm on it, but also because <laughs> uh, saying that they were one in six in the last week is rough. rough to hear. But but yeah, no, I, I've enjoyed the podcast this this season. I enjoyed. I was just saying over dinner, I enjoyed the Will Leach interview. Um, uh, Matt's a big fan of the MacGyver segment. He told us that's as well. just not true. You you can't can't lie for me. All right, well, thanks for having us for dinner, and thanks for being on the Foot in the Box podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a dream come true to be on the podcast. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, July 11th. Uh, other big thing for me was the Cubs' recent slide. Uh, we were recording this just after their win on Sunday, uh, so that was actually a pretty big win going into the All-Star break, but they started the season 27-8, and eight, and since then, with today's win, are 26-27 and 27 since then. Um, in July, their starters have a 9.20 ERA and no quality starts. And recording this on July 10th, so uh, 10 straight non-quality starts uh, from their starters isn't very good um, and just not playing very well at all. The only guy that concerns me as a non-Cubs fan would be Arietta. Mm-hmm. He seems to have had uh, not just a couple bad starts, but he, he seems to not be himself for the past month or so. And that would concern me. But um, I think also breaks coming at the perfect time for them, and I think they'll still win the Central and still be uh, one of the two best teams in the National League. Our World Series prediction was the Cubs over the Red Sox. Um, I'll keep the my Cubs National League prediction. What's your uh, American League? Who's going to make it to the World um, Series? Red Sox isn't a bad pick. I'd go Indians if I had to pick at this point. Cubs-Indians? Mm-hmm. That'd be a fun yeah. World Series. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, July 18th. Okay. Uh, one last uh, all-star game thing, Paul. I've been uh, uh, pumping up Chris Bryant, hitting a home run off Chris Sale on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Little known fact is that Chris Sale actually has to go by K-R-I-S <laughs> now. What have you What have you thought of my, uh, my tweets? Well, that uh, your tweets have elicited a uh, listener question. Uh, Scott from Chicago uh, emailed in and said, uh, your Twitter account has had some banter regarding the dinger Chris Bryant hit off Chris Sale in the All-Star game. Would you be able to find the career stats for Chris Bryant versus Chris Sale? And at first I thought um, Scott was just generally, um, genuinely curious. Like he didn't know the answer. Like would that be possible to find those numbers? But then after looking it up uh, and seeing that um, Bryant is 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts, uh, I... I'm assuming that Scott knew the answer to the question. Yeah. Yep. Over six, six strikeouts, and then first pitch home run. I feel like the All Star break was um, kind of like a coming out party for Bryant. Yeah. Going, in, going into the break, he's a lot of people's MVP in the first half, and then the home run. Agree? He, disagree? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I I knew he was awesome, but maybe for the average fan, they didn't know. That's the beauty of the All Star game. Yep. It can be a coming out party. Hello, and welcome to an. Uh, an emergency episode of the A Foot in the Box podcast, and uh, just a lot of my my personal opinions. I've uh, been pretty uh, disappointed in the Cubs' decision to get Chapman when I realized it could happen last night uh, after the Cubs game. realized it was a strong possibility because uh, uh, Torres, the shortstop that got traded to the Yankees, um, he got pulled from the game. Uh, just got almost sick to my stomach because I knew it was probably going to happen. Um, my feeling is that the Cubs have the best record in baseball right now and the playoffs are a crapshoot. Certainly Chapman's, uh, abilities 
make the Cubs uh, more likely to win the World Series, but um, I don't think it's strong enough to take this sort of risk and compromise the whole organization's integrity to to win. Um, and so, you know, with such a talented team, uh, I would have much rather uh, just, you know, rolled as is into the playoffs rather than doing this. And I feel like it's an endorsement of Chapman's behavior, and it's um, it's not good. Yeah, I was reading um, just a little bit online about it, and um, it is... It is interesting in that, you know, the numbers of people who experience domestic violence, I think it's, uh, I read where it's one in four for adult women and one in seven in adult men have been a victim of domestic violence. And so it's not a small chunk of people that we're talking about. You know, it's 25% of fans tuning into a game uh, have experienced that at some point. And so just uh, the thought that they're, Having to deal with that while watching their favorite team play is is a huge bummer. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone uh, disagrees uh, with what you just said that like adding Chapman makes them more likely to win the World Series. But it seems like the sort of the distinction people are making is you know is it win at all costs or is it try to win but sort of enjoy the ride along the way. Um, to think that the Cubs uh, front office cheated, you know, millions of fans that have waited so long for a World Series, myself included, um, to the point where I almost uh, don't want them to win the World Series this year. Um, I haven't, you know, come to that firm conclusion, but um, tonight watching the Cubs game, I was just, I was rooting for them less because of this whole thing. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that had created that big of an impact. For you, is it um, like the the fact that another human being was involved, like that there was a victim, or would it be the same as if they traded for, say, someone who had used steroids, like a just someone who had cheated? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of both. Um, if it just feels like a, they've compromised their integrity to win. Uh Theo has always talked about integrity as such a key uh, component or talked about how character is such a key component uh, to the franchise with guys like Bryant and Schwarber and Russell and Rizzo and all these guys that, um, you know, seem to care about the right things and carry themselves the right way. Uh, It just seems, uh, this seems to be (laughs) completely contradictory to that. Um, They seem to be really hypocritical to be honest. And, um, I don't want to root for Chapman, um, and he's going to play such a huge part of the team uh, down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's, I think it, the, from an outsider's perspective, the saddest thing is that it adds complexity to what was one of like the cleanest, uh, you know, most romantic baseball stories we've had in a long time. Um, you know, the Cubs. The, kind of the laughable losers who have um, been with that World Series for a century, have this just uh, awesome group of uh, young players that are so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, they're the best team in baseball, got off to an awesome start, and they were like the story that everyone was talking about. And now you, they are the story because they've added the guy who 
just in the hands of baseball fans don't like. So it just it adds a tinge of um, complexity and uh, just weirdness to what was a you know just a great story before. Yeah, that's that's well said. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, August fifteenth. Pete, can you guess in the last month or over the last month the two worst OPSs in baseball? Uh, both right fielders and both in the national. I mean, and both in the national. League. What's the minimum amount of at bats? Uh, good question. I don't think I put a minimum. <laughs> I would. I, I would tell I, you. I have no idea. Uh, Jason Hayward and oh. Bryce Harper. Which is surprising. Harper is his OPS is four sixty eight, um, and then Hayward is the fourth worst in all of baseball this year, um, which I didn't realize it, it was that bad. But pretty fascinating. Like I was thinking, in any other sport, Hayward was the highest priced free agent from last off season, and Harper probably will be uh, next year. And like in basketball or football, if you were to sign two thousand eighteen. Right, sorry. If you were to sign, like, you know, LeBron is now the highest paid player, and it, you would never go a month with him being, like, the worst player mm-hmm. in the NBA, according to field goal percentage or something like that. Yeah, Hayward's lucky that he plays baseball and plays for a really good team. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's, defensively, he still provides a value. Like, it, being the worst hitter, one of the worst hitters in baseball, but playing right field like he does, he's still a positive uh player for your team yeah and his on-base percentage i think is still above league average right around league average but his slugging is the thing that kills him yeah he grounds out grounds out to second base and the pitcher a ton this is the foot in the box podcast for the week of monday august 22nd when you can put some of those categories you know you got your obps and all that and the vorps when they can put in twtw and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right, for TWTW this week, I am looking at the Cubs pitching this year. They have been fantastic this year. They lead all of baseball by a long shot in ERA, uh, 3.13. That's a full run better than league average. And uh, the Nationals are the next closest at 3 uh, 0.36. So they've been really, really good. Um, but all season I've kind of wondered, uh, or I've kind of been skeptical of their dominance. Um, you know, they strike me as a very good staff, especially their starters, but not a like great starting staff. Pete, does this jive with your, uh, perception of the, they have been great. Right. So I would say maybe like a few weeks ago, it turned from Oh, they're probably not going to be, you know, they're going to come back to earth mm-hmm. to like, oh, they're legitimately this good. Yeah. Uh, two stats jumped out to me when I started looking at the Cubs pitching so far this year. Uh, BABIP and ERA minus FIP. So BABIP is uh, batting average and balls in play. And ERA minus FIP is simply taking a uh, team's ERA minus their fielding, fielding independent pitching. Uh, the Cubs have dominated in both. So the Cubs have the best BABIP, or the lowest, at 2.53, and that's almost 30 points better than the number two and over 40 points better than league average. So teams are getting less hits on balls in play than every other team in baseball. Good defense, though. Right, uh, which is where I'm headed. Uh, the Cubs also have the greatest discrepancy between their ERA and their FIP, um, with their ERA being 70 points better 
and what their FIP is. Again, they're really unique in this. The next closest team is the Rangers with a discrepancy of 0.37. So as I mentioned, the Cubs are at 70. So it's a pretty big gap there. And so what does this tell us? And as you mentioned, the Cubs defense is amazing. I think that's kind of the main takeaway. You know, as the name fielding independent pitching would suggest, FIP attempts to remove fielding from assessing a pitcher's performance um, with the thought being that a pitcher can't control um, his defense. And so when you think about this, you have to attribute a lot of the Cubs pitching dominance to its stellar defense this year. Um, you know, if there's a large difference between a team's ERA and their FIP, its defense is likely really good or really bad. And um, we've talked about this before, but the Cubs' advanced fielding numbers are off the charts. Uh, they lead baseball by a wide margin in defensive run saves, largely due to um, Hayward and Addison Russell. They're also number one in uh, defensive war, according to Fangraphs. Um, so just a really, really good defense. And I think the dis- disclaimer here is that even with an average defense, I think the Cubs staff would be really good. I just don't think they would be uh, the number one. They wouldn't have the number one ERA in all of baseball. Um, they're fifth in FIP, so it's not like their pitchers have been middle of the pack on their own. Um, and they're number one in generating soft contact. Um, so they are good. I just don't think they're you know, historically great or even um, way better than, say, the Nationals. Do you know who has the best ERA of any pitcher in the National League? Uh, Kyle Hendricks. Yep. Wow. Because we just reached a point where uh, Kershaw is no longer eligible, hmm. whatever the amount of innings is. Yep. Uh, so Hendricks is the lead now. Yeah. What, what's interesting in doing some research, uh, teams who have a high discrepancy between their ERA and their FIP tend to regress the next season. So in 2013, the Reds led all of baseball with the highest discrepancy between those two, the Orioles in 2014 and the Cardinals last year. And each of those teams moved from being an upper echelon staff in ERA to being more in the middle of the pack the next year. So it will be interesting to see what happens with the Cubs. Um, you know, a lot of their position players will probably stay the same. Well, they're, all their starters are under contract next year as well. Right. So you might not see as big of a drop there, but you maybe attribute a little bit of luck to to their dominance so far this year. Yeah, that's got me thinking. The Cubs this offseason are going to have so few moves. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 12th. Okay, my article comes from SI.com. Tom Verducci is the writer. And uh, the title is In-Depth Look at Why Cubs Have All the Ingredients to End the World Series Drought. Uh, so the article has a lot of fluff about how the Cubs haven't won in a long time and how this team is different and all that stuff. Uh, you're probably sick of hearing about that. I know I am. Um, but well, of, co- of course you're sick about hearing that. I'm sick of just hearing kind of like this team's different. This you know oh. all that stuff. Uh, so Verducci does make a lot of good points though. He says that on paper this Cubs team will enter the postseason as the most prohibitive favorite to win it all since the 1998 Yankees. So it is a pretty historic team. So that's 18 years ago, and I think I just lose sight of how dominant the Cubs have been relative to the rest of the league. They are on pace to uh, to be nine games better than the second-best team in baseball, the Rangers. And that's only happened 12 times in the last 50 years. Nine of those 12 teams to do it won the World Series, and 11 of the 12 made the World Series. 
can you name the one team that did not make the World Series? Nine games uh, or more better than the second best team in baseball? I can't, no. 2001 Mariners. Hmm. Yeah, so the 2001 Mariners uh, lost in the division round, and uh, I just found this intriguing. He listed out the um, the pitching matchups. In that series, it was the Yankees versus the Mariners. Game one was Andy Pettit versus Aaron Seeley. Game two was Mike Mussina versus Freddie Garcia. Game three was Orlando Hernandez against Jamie Moyer. Game four, Roger Clemens versus Paul Abbott. And then game five was a rematch of game one, Andy Pettit versus Aaron Seeley. Uh, so even looking at the one time that a team this dominant has not made the World Series, you can see why the Yankees had much better starting pitching. Um, yeah, you're on Aaron Seeley out as your number one. Exactly. And Clemens was the Yankees' game four starter. Mm-hmm. He makes a good point in the article uh, comparing Kyle Hendricks to El Duque. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if their games are that similar, but just the idea that um, they're – the Cubs and the Yankees, fourth, third or fourth best starter, uh, was is so dominant. So Hendricks probably won't start until at least Game Three of the division series, and um, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, if not the best, for a long time in the uh, 2016 season. Uh, Hendricks has not thrown a single pitch this year uh, at the league average for a fastball. Has not thrown a single pitch at 92 miles per hour mm-hmm. all season, and has the I think third best ERA in baseball. No. So be honest. Would you be totally confident in Hendricks starting a playoff game? I still feel like he could yeah, get rocked. In that's a, a good question. Yeah, until he proves it, probably not. Uh, I'm much more confident this year than last year. Really? So would I mean, you? He's been so good. Last last year he was hit or miss down the stretch, and so he was hit or miss in the playoffs. If you were Joe Madden, you'd go Arietta, Lester, Hendricks, Hendricks, Lackey. Yeah. And I would send Jason Hamill to the Bahamas for a vacation. <laughs> He's terrible. Uh, and lastly, uh, in this article, um, Verducci lays out, you know, are there some possible ways to beat the Cubs? So one possibility is left-handed pitchers. And uh, that's not the way to beat them. The Cubs are the same against left-handers and right-handers. Another possibility is getting into the Cubs' bullpen. Uh, that's also not the way to do it. According to Verducci, the Cubs have the best uh, strikeout per nine um, in the National League amongst bullpens, and they're fourth in ERA in the National League. Um, and adding Chapman only makes that stronger, and everyone's back healthy now. So that probably isn't the best way to go. Third, uh, power pitching. The, that's how the Mets beat the Cubs last year. And Verducci has this really great table in the article that shows how the Cubs have improved um, this year versus last year. So last year, on base percentage versus relief pitchers, they ranked 11th, and this year they're first. Uh, OBP versus power pitchers, last year they were fifth in the National League, this year they're first. Runners on third base uh, with less than two outs, last year they were 15th. Uh, that's you know really bad. This year they've moved, moved up to sixth. And then lastly, strikeouts, they've improved from 15th to 12th. So they do still strike out a ton, but they have improved quite a bit. He does lay out two actual concerns, uh, two ways to beat the Cubs. One, their best pitchers are really bad at controlling the running game. Lester can't throw to any of the bases, and Arietta and Hendricks are both pretty bad as well. And Jason Hayward has continued to be terrible. 
And uh, Madden has kept betting him sixth in the order. And so uh, in the playoffs, that stuff just gets revealed pretty quickly. Uh, and they're just going to pitch around guys to, to face Hayward until he beats them. If I could add a couple of my concerns for the Cubs, uh, Jake Arrieta's control I think will get exposed in the playoffs. I don't think he'll be the dominant pitcher that they need him to be. Second, uh, Chapman not being able to go more than just an inning. I think you need closers like Mariano Rivera to be able to go um, at least four or five outs in the playoffs, and Chapman has shown that he, is, he just can't do that. He can only come in in the ninth inning when in a safe situation, which is crazy to me, but that's kind of the only way he wants to be used. And lastly, Bryant Rizzo, and I don't have a lot of stats to back this up. I could be way off, but it just seems like they have not been great in kind of key moments um, late in games. And last year in the playoffs, they struggled, especially Rizzo. He was really bad. So uh, having those guys hit in the middle of your order, you need them to be clutch and uh, kind of get better as the playoffs start. And so I, I'm concerned about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think through uh, in terms of the running games of National League contenders, and no one really mm-hmm. pops out as... Yeah, that is... Verducci says, that, you know, they suck at controlling the running game, but none of the contenders steal... I feel like no teams really steal anymore outside of like, you know, the Reds and I think the Brewers have stolen a ton of bases. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 19th. Well, uh, getting into baseball, um, Mm -hmm. the Cubs clinched a playoff spot, won the Central Division. Oh, that's good news. Good to hear. (laughs) You hadn't heard that? You hadn't heard that? No, I obviously yes, I heard that. What uh, what's your take on it? So we, I don't think we've had you on the podcast, but you're more in my camp. Uh, with the Chapman stuff, yeah, I, uh, I I definitely don't feel the same way that I felt about this team um, currently as I did before the Chapman acquisition. Um, I certainly am still cheering for the Cubs, and I you know certainly still really uh, I'd still really enjoy obviously a long postseason run. Um, it just feels a little bit different um, because of that acquisition. I think it didn't make sense from. Uh, both a baseball standpoint, I think you know how I feel about closers being overvalued, but then also just from a, you know, liking the team standpoint to have someone like him on a team I don't love. So, you know, I, I still was, you know, really excited when they clinched and, um, you know, the team is still full of players that I really, really like. And so it was fun watching them celebrate. But certainly exciting that they won the Central. I mean, it's not like that's the type of thing that's happening a lot throughout Cubs history. So pretty yep. exciting stuff. First time since? 2008. That's correct. Yeah, I think 07, 08, they uh, won the Central both years. And then before that, I think it was 89. Mm-hmm. Because they won the wild card in 98 and the wild card in 03. Yep. And so before that, 89, and I think before that, 84, and then I think before that, wasn't it like 45? <laughs> Didn't we make the World crazy. Series in 1954? Isn't that a thing? No. In it was 45? Yeah. I get them switched around. <laughs> but it is pretty crazy when you think about Cubs history. It's so easy to remember uh, <laughs> when they went to the playoffs because it just happens so rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, winning, winning your division is a much bigger deal now than it was before the the two wild card teams per week um 
I mean, avoiding that one game, basically playing game, is huge in baseball, obviously. Now, you mentioned that you're rooting for a long Cubs playoff run, and this is a question I'm trying to process right now as well. What's your ideal uh, Cubs playoff run? Do they win the World Series? Um, ideally, I, that's a tough question. Ideally, yes, they'd win the World really? Series. Really? You want them to win? You've changed. I've changed a little bit. The The reason is because it's, there's still a lot of players on this team that I'd really like to see win a World Series. And the presence of Chapman on the team doesn't take away from that. I would still really like for David Ross to win uh, a World Series yes. on this roster. Um, and then, you know, the team is pretty likable. Like, I really like a lot of these guys. And uh, this will be, you know one of the Cubs' best chances to win it, I think. I mean, you don't know what the future holds, but you can't really take for granted that we will be there every single year, even though that's the way the team is set up. So, yeah, I think ideally I'd like to see them win the World Series, but the big difference for me is that I, if they don't win the World Series, I really don't think I'm going to be as disappointed as I would have been if it wouldn't have been for the Chapman trade. Um, which I know, you know, to a lot of people sounds pretty ridiculous and maybe even a little petty. But, you know, if we don't do it this year and we don't sign Chapman, I, I won't be totally devastated about that. Yeah, and I, but I think, and I'm probably moving more towards that direction. The thing is, though, when you're, when you're kind of admitting that your disappointment level is not going to be as high, I think mm -hmm. that, uh, that means that your joy level, if they win it, won't be as high. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, there's no question about that. And that was, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was so frustrated with the Chapman trade is that it takes away from my enjoyment of this season that previously had been so high. I mean, I was really loving this team. So, yeah, the excitement and the joy and the satisfaction as a fan that I'll get if they win the World Series will definitely be lower with Chapman on the team than had we not made that trade. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 26th. All right, let's get into awards. I will say before we jump into awards, our official Foot in the Box World Series pick at the beginning of the year is very much in play and probably what um, most people would predict, which was the Cubs over the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. So just yeah. a little a plug for us, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's do MVP first. Uh, my National League MVP is... Chris Bryant. That's correct. Had a slash line as of earlier this week, 295, 388, 561, 38 home runs, and a baseball reference war of 7.4. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there wasn't a super strong you know, runner-up to mm -hmm. him, and the Cubs are by far the best team in, in the National League, and Bryant is, by all accounts, the best player on that team. And... Um, because there's no Mike Trout type player anywhere else, I went with Chris Bryant. Uh, I think if um, you made a case for Corey Seager or Freddie Freeman, even or Daniel Murphy, like I could, I could probably be, buy into that if you showed me some advanced stats. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I didn't put in a ton of time to look into those. So Bryant has the highest WAR of any player in the National League, and uh, as the Thunder rolls here in Champagne. Um, you know, best player on the best team, no clear runner-up. 
Chris Bryant's my MVP. Uh, and, and if you look back, my preseason prediction was Andrew McCutcheon. Mm. So swing and a miss there. The foot in the box jinx. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. This is the big 2016 playoff preview. Our next guest on the podcast is Ryan Davis. Uh, he is a writer for BP Wrigleyville on today's Knuckleball, and he is here to talk about the Cubs. Ryan, welcome to our podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, listeners, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Davis BP. All right, so I'm asking each uh, each guest on on this podcast the same two questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, if the Cubs win the World Series, uh, what is the main reason why? What's kind of the narrative behind why they why they did it? Uh, the I guess the things we already talked about. They have the best starting pitching in baseball. They have the best defense, and they have one of the best offenses. I would say everybody performed their role and did what they've done all year, and that's just go out and obliterate teams. Yeah, I think to have the best pitching, defense, and hitting—that's a pretty good recipe for uh, yeah for baseball. <laughs> I mean, success. Yeah, what else? What else can you do? And they, you know, at the back end of your bullpen, you've got some pretty great guys too. Yeah, and you know, one of the best managers in, in baseball. Yeah. Uh, the second question: If the Cubs fail to. Uh, to win the World Series, or even if they uh, if they were to lose the division series, which is definitely a possibility, uh, what is uh, what's kind of the narrative behind that? Uh, the the actual truth behind it will be that they had essentially like a bad sequencing. Mm-hmm. Is my opinion. They'll have you know a, a starter just get hit on a day that they can't hit. Um, you know. That kind of thing will happen. I mean, it, it's a short series. Uh, if you lose three games, you're done. We've seen them lose three games in, in a bad stretch this year. It doesn't mean that they aren't a good team. It doesn't mean that they're flawed. It just means that that happens sometimes. Every team will go through a stretch where they lose a few games, and that's just how it happens sometimes. Uh, there's nothing special or magical about the playoffs other than the, the fact that they're the playoffs. And if they lose, it'll be because they went through one of those stretches. Yeah, and especially, you know, if the Giants make it, you've got Baumgartner and Cueto in a, right. in a short series. They, I mean, they could just pitch the games of their lives, and the Cubs yeah. can't do much if about you've it. Gotta face those, if you've got to face those guys, I'm guessing, three out of five games in a, in a series like that, you could lose three out of five games, and it could just happen. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Tuesday, October 4th. Now moving on to the playoffs. Paul, first let's talk about three storylines or three narratives that you're intrigued by. Um, in the playoffs, so maybe we can go back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most obvious one is the Cubs. Um, I feel like they've been the storyline all year, and because they've dominated so much, maybe that's um, that hasn't gotten as much attention here down the stretch. But I think as soon as they start winning or don't win in the playoffs, they'll become the the biggest story. So you think specifically it's breaking the the drought? Is that kind of what? Yeah. I do. See, I I think that's some of it, but I think some of that has worn away. Um, I think because the Cubs were my top storyline as well. You've got the breaking the curse stuff, but then you also have the best team in baseball, kind of like the the one Mariners, where it's man they've dominated the whole regular season. They're so much better than everyone else. Uh, can they back it up in the playoffs? Yeah. And then you also have the Theo component. You know, he did it in Boston. If he does it in Chicago, he's a baseball legend. Um, and so I think those are kind of the three main 
three main storylines with the Cubs that I am intrigued by. Yeah, I mean, I just think if they win, the celebration will be a story because of the drought. Like, yeah, but I don't think like early on in the playoffs, I don't think it'll be like, you know, we're breaking the drought. I think it'll be man, they dominated all season. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think as the World Series comes closer, that'll mm-hmm. definitely pick up. Okay, so those are the storylines we're intrigued by. Next up, let's talk about the people with the most pressure on them. Um, so, Paul, you want to start us? Yeah, you'll enjoy my first one. Um, let me explain it a bit. I think Aroldis Chapman has a tremendous amount of pressure on him. And I say that because, you know, I think a lot of Cubs players have pressure on them. But Chapman, especially because fans have no sense of like goodwill tied to him. You know, he wasn't there last year, or he wasn't there at the beginning of this year. Um, and so they have some built up. He's been, he's been good, but like, Cubs. I think most fans have this acknowledgement that we got Chapman yeah. for the playoffs. That's a good point. And so if he doesn't, um, do well, I'm not saying he won't, but if he doesn't do well, then I think fans could turn on him quickly and, you know, just seeing how he's handled media attention in the past, I think he could maybe say a, a word or two that he wants to take back. So yeah, that's a good one. Uh, mine is Cubs related as well. Joe Madden, I think, uh, love him or hate him. I think most people love him, but some people, uh, are just rubbed the wrong way by his, his antics. Uh, I think he's just got pressure to perform. He's never won a world series. Um, most people consider him the best manager in baseball, um, or at least one of the best managers. And he has done that without winning a world series. And so this is the year where he's got to come through, um, and uh, you know every decision he makes will be scrutinized. And even last year, some some fans did kind of turn on him in the playoffs. If you make one bad move, it's um, it's a whole different ball game. So, um, in terms of fans, what they think of their manager. So, Joe Madden, uh, a lot of pressure on him. <clears throat> and it's interesting. Like uh, I would say, Theo actually has very little pressure on him. Like yes. Um, I mean, he'll be nervous because he wants to win, obviously, but I feel like everyone is sort of acknowledging like he's put the right team in place, the right manager in place, and now it's up to them to go prove it. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Friday, October 14th. Uh, So Cubs, Giants, let's talk about games three and four. I think those two games are the most compelling of the playoffs so far. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yeah, for sure. But I mean, game game five of the Dodgers uh, Nationals would be up there as well. Game uh, game four of the Nationals Dodgers series was pretty good too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but games three and game four of uh, the Cubs series were amazing. Even as you know, I'm I'm not a Cubs fan um, or a Giants fan, but just as a baseball fan, they were pretty amazing to watch. I'm not gonna lie, I did fall. Kate Kate texted me a picture of you sleeping. I did fall asleep during game three. Um, You stay up for game four. I did. Yeah, all of it. Um, but yeah, so many storylines to talk about. I guess where, where I want to start is Connor Gillespie. <laughs> you know, he played with the Sox for, for three seasons and was pretty mediocre. And he goes to the Giants or back to the Giants and becomes like Babe Ruth. Um, <laughs> for the playoffs. For the playoffs. He yeah. was not very good during the regular season. Yeah. I, I think I was listening to um, an interview with Jim Deshays, the Cubs uh, color guy. Uh, and he had an interesting point. He he was being asked about sort of um, playoff heroes, unexpected playoff heroes, and how they kind of come out of nowhere. You think about the Giants with 
you know, Cody Ross back in 2010, Marco Scudero, um, just all sorts of guys, uh, Travis Ishikawa, come out of the woodwork. And um, Deshae's point was that in the postseason, teams are far less likely to let the other team's stars beat them. So uh, they're going to pitch around hmm. maybe uh, Brandon Crawford batting fifth to get the Gillespie batting sixth more often. And I'm not sure that I didn't go back and look to see if that actually happened in the Cubs series. But I thought it was an interesting point. Certainly not by the end of the series. Right, yeah. You uh, you just have more opportunities if you're... Yeah, that could have happened with um, Murphy last year. Right. I don't know. Was he hitting behind Cespedes? Um, yes, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to examine is the bullpen use in um, Games 3 and Game 4. So the bottom of the 8th in Game 3... And the top of the ninth in Game Four are nearly identical. Mm-hmm. Fascinating to me how similar they are uh, in opposite directions. So the bottom of the eighth in Game Three, the Cubs are up three to two, and you've got Belt, Posey, and Pence coming up for the Giants. Uh, Travis Wood was in the game uh, in the seventh, so Madden left him in to face uh, Belt. Gives up a single to Belt. Hector Rondon comes in to face Posey. Uh, walks him, and then with nobody out in the eighth inning, winners on first and second, up by one, Madden goes with Chapman, strikes out Pence, who looked awful mm-hmm. in the series, and to end the year against the Dodgers. And then uh, Gillespie comes up and rips a triple. They go up 5-3. Bryant ties it in the, the top of the ninth with a two-run homer, but Giants end up winning. And then let's look at the top of the ninth in game four. It was 5-2. to two. Giants were winning. Bryant, Rizzo, and Zobris coming up. Same spot in the order, 2-3-4, as uh, Belt, Posey, and Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Law starts the inning, uh, replaces Matt Moore, who pitched a great game. Uh, Law, who I don't uh, particularly like very much. I picked up on was that. pretty annoying. He gave up a weak single to Bryant. And then Bochi brings in Javi Lopez to face Rizzo. Rizzo walks. Then they bring in Sergio Romo to face Zobrist, uh, gives up a double. Uh, then he then uh, Madden sends up Coglin to pinch hit for Russell. So Bochi brings in Will Smith to face Coglin, lefty on lefty. Of course, Madden knew he was going to do that, so he sends up Contreras, Wilson Contreras, right hand batter. He gets a single. Uh, then Hayward bunts. Should have been a double play, but Crawford throws it away. Hayward gets the second, and then Hunter Strickland comes in the fifth uh, pitcher in the inning for the Giants. He comes in, gives up a single to Baez. Cubs go up 6-5. to five, um, And then Chapman closes it out in the bottom of the ninth. So, Paul, I guess my questions are, after laying that out, if you were the managers of each individual team, how would you have handled those situations? Yeah, I, I don't think I, just based on what I've seen you post on Twitter, I don't put as much fault on the managers as you do. Looking back, uh, I guess Chapman's numbers with runners on base – are pretty terrible compared to uh, when he comes in. There's nobody on base, so I could you could maybe make the argument that um, he should have started that inning if you're going to use him. Uh, I like I'm a huge fan of using your closer um, or your best relief pitcher when the situation warrants, and I think it did. Um, so you agree with bringing Chapman in there in the eighth? Yes. Um, and Bochi, I feel like the context there is like the Giants bullpen is awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just go back and watch some of the pitches that Sergio Romo is throwing, 
I think the pitch that Zobar set the double on, or the triple on, double or triple? Double. The pitch that he hit, the double on, and the pitch before that were literally like 84 mile an hour like lob balls. <laughs> like they, they did nothing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Derek Law had been better, but all, all four or five of those guys are not Chapmans. And so I, I actually don't fault Bochi for trying to find a guy who's hmm. already in a rhythm. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great viewing experience. So I don't argue from that perspective. Sure. I would have brought Chapman in to start the eighth if you were willing to do that mm-hmm. after two guys were on. I don't think closers do well when you bring him in with runners on base, unless you're Mariana Rivera. Right. Uh, so I guess Madden knows that now, and so he probably won't do it again. Um, so I would have brought Chapman in to start the eighth. Uh, I thought Bochy really botched game four. I think to start the inning with Law didn't make sense to me. I mean, he's got one career save. It felt kind of like they were trying to get by. They are up three. You know, Law was pitching well. Like, let's give it to him. And if you're going to give it to him, give it to him. I mean, Bryant's ball wasn't hit that hard. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand bringing Lopez in. Um, but once you bring Lopez in, you have to, like, that just starts a, a cycle of going to get the the next guy, the next yeah. specialist. The at-bat that made that ending was Rizzo's walk. Yeah. That was a great at-bat. I Joe Madden uh, had an interview today on my way to work, and he said that before the series even started, he knew that Bochi was going to manage that way, and that's why they took one less pitcher and one more hmm. position player, so that he could burn a guy like Coglin in that situation, um, and it wouldn't hurt him. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, looking at the Cubs' offense, they really struggled in the series. You look at there are three, four, five, and six hitters combined. Um, eight for seventy-three. So Rizzo, Zobris, Russell, and Hayward. Eight for seventy-three. That's a one-ten average. Uh, no matter who they play next, the Nationals or the Dodgers, that's gotta gotta improve. Paul, you have anything else on this series? No, it's a great series. Um, yeah, I feel like we've uh, focused on Connor Gillespie and bullpen usage, but I think overall, really fun series. Javi Bias too is kind of his. Breakthrough I've, breakthrough moment? I never, or I don't recall seeing a player who has as much uh, swag as <laughs> Baez. And he's an amazing tagger. Uh, like the swipe tag is, his, I feel like, kind of his specialty. And I don't really remember ever talking about anyone else's tagging skills. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a skill you didn't really know existed. And I'm sure like Jeter or A-Rod were like really good at Picking balls at short and making those tags, but just no one ever talked about it. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of different clips um, from this series because it was so great. Um, game three, we're going to play the Gillespie triple to take the lead. And then um, we're going to play after that the Cubs rally in the top of the ninth um, in game four. So here those clips are. And the biggest moment of the game right here. Gillespie to right. Almora back. He can't get there. Bill scores. Here's Posey. And the Giants have taken the lead. The Cubs got exactly what they wanted. They got runners on, and they got that tying run in that batter's box, and they did it quickly. The 3-1. 
lined into right field. That'll rattle around. Bryant scores easily. And it's a two-run ball game with nobody out in the ninth. Rizzo, the runner at third, Zobrist at second, and now Chris Coughlin will not bat. It'll be Wilson Contreras, a right-handed batter. And Contreras hits a ground ball up the middle. That's going to be a base hit. One run is in. Here comes Zobrist. He ties the game. A two-run single by Wilson Contreras. The ball game is tied at five. Still nobody out in the inning, and the Cubs have scored three runs. Hayward shows butt, gets it down, but hard back to the mound. To second one on the first, a wide throw by Crawford goes out of play, and Hayward will take second. And Baez hits a ground ball up the middle. That's a base hit. Hayward around third. He will score. Cubs lead 6-5. Javier Baez with a broken bat single up the middle. And the Cubs dugout jumping up and down in absolute delight. And the Cubs have had uh, a little magic wand do action going here in this inning. These young players for the Cubs are fearless. And the Cubs have stunned this crowd with a four-run ninth inning. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, October 24th. Okay, well, let's dive in to the championship series. First, let's start with the NLCS. Paul, like you mentioned earlier, I attended Game 6. It was sweet redemption. 13 years after, both of us attended Game mm-hmm. 6 of the 2003 NLCS, the famous uh, Steve Bartman game uh, in which they lost to the Marlins. So that was October 14th, 2003. <laughs> Uh, and this game was October twenty second, two thousand sixteen, and um, yeah, it was it was a surreal sporting event to attend. I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know if you have any like specific questions uh, or things that you're curious about because I could probably talk about it for a long time. Well, to channel every post game interview I've ever seen, uh, <laughs> just walk me through your thoughts. Yeah, dur- you should during give, the game. Give me a post game interview right now. <laughs> uh, great performance, awesome job. Uh, was there a certain uh, Thought or image or person that running through your head as uh, the final out mm. happened? Final outs is a double play. Right. So that was a bit of a wrinkle. Uh, I thought they might challenge that. It was close. I think they got him. Because it was a double play, I didn't really have time to think about uh, or like go you know go back through all the all the people I would think about. You know, our grandpa, all the the family and friends that are Cubs fans. Um, really, I think. Grandpa's the only Cubs fan I know that's passed mm-hmm. that would have enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed being at the game. So I didn't have time to think about specific people because it was double play. And so when the double play happened, you could see it kind of developing, and I just went crazy, jumped up in the air, hugged uh, hugged John and Kevin, our brothers, gave my mom a high five who was at the game. What yeah. per- What percentage of the game were you standing I'll go 30. It was a lot of up and down. People couldn't really decide. Hmm. Um, any big moment, any like two strikes on a batter with two outs in the inning, people would stand. Um, I mean, any good play, people would kind of stand up and cheer. Watching it on TV, they kept showing, even like when they had a five-run lead, and like in the eighth and the ninth inning, they kept showing fans who were just like... Nervous? Yeah, like, um, you know... People taking their hats off and like rubbing their eyes and. Did you see me on TV? I did not know. Uh, so my question is like, was that the vibe you were getting, or was that just kind of a product of, you know, the Fox TV producer looking for people in the crowd who were displaying nerves? Yeah, that wasn't the vibe. 
I got it all. Uh, it was one of the strangest games I've ever attended because there's literally no stress at all throughout the game. Um, I think the highest point of stress as a Cubs fan was the, the first batter, Tolls, first pitch of the game, line drive single to right, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the very next pitch was a double play. Good play by Baez. Uh, so I think the highest stress was <laughs> the first pitch of the game when he got a single, which wasn't all that much stress. The Cubs scored right away in the, the bottom of the first. Um, so there's no stress at all throughout the game. Uh, Dodgers uh, never got a runner to second base. Uh, they faced the Cubs pitchers faced the minimum. Any run, base runners that the Dodgers did get got a race uh, by double plays or a pickoff of Redick. Um, yeah, it was a great game. Okay, let's look ahead to the World Series. Uh, I think probably the best World Series in recent memory. You would say that? Well, but yeah, I guess from your perspective as a objective fan, uh, like would you say this has more intrigue to the average uh, non-Indians Cubs fan than like a, a Mets Royals or oh for sure I mean both teams haven't won a World Series for uh, what over sixty years yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure the exact year on the Indians but. Um, yeah uh, I mean I I will say that I'm not totally objective either and that I live in a family of sure. four Cubs fans and live in Central Illinois where there's a of Cubs fans but yeah I think objectively there is a lot more intrigue um, I saw Keith Law tweet out last night like essentially. Two great managers, two teams with long droughts. Uh, two best teams. Two best teams in each league. So all you can ask for really in the World Series. Sorry, Rangers. Yeah. You were not the best. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs, with the World Series. Bryant makes the play. It's over. And the Cubs have finally won it all. 8-7 and 10. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And the Chicago Cubs are the champions of baseball. Quick one, uh, who or what did you think of during you know the last out and then right after that? What kind of flash in your mind? Well, I figured Martinez would hit a home run. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, and I don't even know has he ever hit a major league home run. He's I, don't, yet, I think he's. I think I heard someone say today that he's the worst. He was the worst hitter in baseball this year. Yeah. Which knowing well, that now, I, I, I yeah the. I, so that would have been idea. I mean, that right. would have been the story, right? Um, yeah, I want to hear on the ground, and I knew we had him. Yeah, I mean, so for me, like, I didn't even, I didn't make any noise. I didn't do anything when it happened. I was just sort of relieved. Mm-hmm. You know, in in one way, and, and, and yeah, I started thinking about uh, you know my grandpa who was you know home and able to watch it. I was able to Uncle Bo, who I guess was my great uncle, Uncle Dean, who wasn't even my uncle, but that's what I called him. <laughs> you know, all these older guys, and I, and I was thinking about this. You know, when you're a when you're a young kid in junior high and high school, and you come across these older guys in your community or in your church or even in your family, you know, what is it that you have that's like a shared thing? Nothing, really. But the Cubs were that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's just certain people that whenever you saw them, that's you talk about the Cubs or, you know, maybe the Cardinals, whatever it was, and that was your shared bond. And so, you know, I, I thought of those guys um, right when it happened. And, and just I just stood there with my arm in, in the air until it, you know, got too tired and I finally put it down. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the kind of that's, – that's the people I thought of and just, you know, the millions. 
and millions and millions of people. It wasn't, and I, and I felt like a lot of Cubs fans felt that way. It wasn't like a lot of, you know, yelling and high five, and there was some of that, but a lot of it was just sort of looking out at the field blankly, kind of just feeling mm-hmm. this collective, I think, relief and kind of profound sense of, you know, something has important has happened. Yeah, I think it's it was less, like, euphoric in the moment, but I think yeah. the satisfaction will last much longer. Um, like, today I was feeling... Um, feeling things like 24 hours after it happened that I didn't think I, I probably would have. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how long that that lasts into the future. Forever. I think it'll last forever. <laughs> Hopefully eternity. Right. You know, and, and listen, like, you guys love baseball, and, and you guys have been baseball fans your whole lives. You have you come from a baseball family. You could even feel it as you walked around after the game. You know, certain people were kind of, you know, they were inebriated, and they were yelling, and they were doing this and that. But then other people... You know, like, it was just like you just nod at them and they would nod at you, you know, and you could tell those were the people that were kind of taking it the same way that you were, right? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of neat, was that people were expressing it in all these different ways. But when you had one of those people that you could tell was taking it in the same way you were, like, that was a really cool, kind of a cool part of, of the celebration afterwards. We'll talk to you soon, and the Cubs are the champions. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time! And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins.